1: Gators Breakdown, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter, at GatorDave underscore SEC, coming at you the day after the disappointing loss for the Gators. Tigers come into the Swamp win, 37-34, Gators playoffs. Hopes are dashed right now. Joining me here on Sunday as these guys do week in and week out. Nick DeLatore from Getter's Territory, Graham Hall from the Gainesville Sun. Gentlemen, uh, this episode wasn't supposed to be like this.
2: (laughs) No, not at all. Uh, You know, and I think that's why – I don't want to say overreactions, but I think you're having some of the reactions that you are in the immediate aftermath because this was a team Florida was supposed to beat, should have beat, and once again, it's hard to feel like they didn't kind of shoot themselves in the foot – repeatedly last night so um you know with so much to play for and without with much of the conversation throughout the week being should this game even happen the ACC scheduling it to just get to the conference championships there's already talk about putting Ohio State in when they have played teams with a combined losing record it has to add to the frustration that you kind of feel like if you aren't even playing you go to the SEC championship game you still have everything in a sense to play for, but this team, this game just kind of epitomized why Florida isn't ready to compete for a college football playoff right now.
1: Yeah, Nick. Uh, uh,
0: yeah, go ahead. I think Alabama was going to show you that <laughs> um, this week, but uh, instead LSU did. I mean, you lost to a 24-point underdog that was playing a freshman quarterback and, you know, the defending national champions that had uh, four guys from that team back, and two of them weren't playing. Um, so yeah, just, uh, just a completely disappointing performance from Florida. And, you know, maybe it's all that those ho hum performances that we saw, you know, yeah. and we talked about it last week. Dave, can you flip a switch? Uh, right. it certainly looked like that switch that switch was stuck in the down position, uh, Saturday night.
1: Yeah, that's that's kind of what it was, guys. And I'll I put that on, you know, on Twitter last night after the game. Um, this the stretch of the season where Florida was playing overmatched opponents. Guys, the teams that you knew Florida was better than, there were it wasn't supposed to end like this. When you and, and when you go against Tennessee and Kentucky and Vanderbilt, the weaker teams of the SEC, is SEC East, you expected this team to maybe if they were going to. I'm not going to quote-unquote relax or take it off. You still expect that they could go out there and and play good games and and find ways to get better, find things to work on in preparation for Alabama. I mean, and look it was called nitpicking at the time. Oh, you're just being nitpicky. Uh, they're still winning big games. Well, that's the reason you kind of nitpick at times is because there's going to come a time to where those issues that came up in these last three to four games – are going to rear their ugly head and you may not be able to flip that switch to, to to go back to how the offense looked in like a machine versus Ole Miss and Texas A&M and Missouri and Georgia at times. And then the defense, you know, it just kind of is what it is. Those issues really came to a head again uh, versus LSU. But, yeah, I mean, the, the last three or four games when what was considered nitpicking really just kind of showed up.
2: It was kind of because nitpicking seemed justified. Florida was – you and you analyze florida's roster you look at their competition those were games that they shouldn't have been winning just by seven three points they were games that we all had said this is an opportunity to work on several aspects to improve to play that complete game and if you have a chance to get some of those younger guys in there in in the secondary start building that experience and we didn't ever see florida do all of those things yeah they, they would get guys in in the fourth quarter. Emory Jones would come in, Rashad Torrance would come in, but it also, that game was usually defined by a slow start in the first quarter or trailing early, and that's just never what you necessarily want to see if you're a team that already is kind of on the outside looking in, needs some style points in a sense to possibly jump your head-to-head loss in Texas A&M, and as all Florida fans know, they want Kyle Trask to go out there and make his Heisman case. We're, We're pushing Dan Mullen forward every single week, and when you see him not able to play that complete game and certainly kind of leads to what you said a lot of this nitpicking this this criticizing because florida has things to play for that are outside the short term or outside that current game the long-term improvement but also those personal awards that are going to get your team noticed are going to help with recruiting rankings are going to lead players into your program and seeing florida just consistently fail to capitalize on all the opportunities available has to be frustrating if, if you're a Florida fan, especially when that lack of capitalization is coming against weaker opponents.
1: Yeah, I think that's the most frustrating part uh, for, for the fan base was seeing uh, everything looks so good after that Georgia game and then not being able to keep it at 10, keep keep the level at 10. Because you've seen Alabama do it. You've seen Alabama get better as the season progressed. And you, uh, you were hoping and kind of targeting, pointing to Florida doing the same and, and having this epic SEC championship game and that all comes crashing down now as Florida loses to LSU. Let's break it down a bit more. But before we do, remember you can find Gators Breakdown at News4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes there, as well as News for Jack's coverage of the Gators. Please share, rate, and review the show. It really helps us out. Hit that like button on YouTube, hit that subscribe button. Or if you just want the audio version, check out us, check us out on your favorite podcast platform. And follow Gators Breakdown on social media. We're on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown, guys. I mean, first of all, Florida just wasn't ready to play this game. That's <laughs> really what it, really what it boils down to. Um, and we're not really going to know why. You know, we can guess and assume that Florida thought they could just go out there and LSU would roll over and, and, and not be ready to play a game. You know, after their blowout loss versus Alabama last week, you know, LSU was making all the wrong. Headlines uh, during, during the season uh, off the field, you know, all week with players being unhappy, leading to some opt-outs. And we thought this team might be checked out. Uh, that, that was a thought out there. And, you know, Florida inexcusably looked like the team that was checked out here. So uh, not ready to play the game. Everything that was considered nitpicking the last few games came to a head. Uh, maybe they thought LSU was a pushover, uh, which they should have been if Florida was ready to play. Uh, but, you know, this is an LSU team that had ba- barely had enough players to play this game. Uh, that, that's the, the worrisome part there uh, when you look at it. then maybe they were looking ahead to Alabama. Either way, inexcusable performance from the top down, coaching, offense, defense, special teams, uh, it was system-wide failure when you lose to a 24-point underdog. Given the circumstances, everything's still on the line. You can question if Florida was going to be Alabama next week but it doesn't excuse the performance. Uh, What we saw Saturday night, uh, you take your chances uh, for that game next week, but it doesn't really matter a whole lot now uh, just for some pride. But, you know, you give yourself a shot next week with a win versus LSU. And, um, guys, to me, there was just no excuse for the performance.
0: Uh, To me, and and I wrote this, this was the arrogance of your head coach just trickling all the way down through your team. Um, The ESPN crew talked about it. Dan Mullen told them on Friday in their pre-production meeting, Um, I think if we have two losses and win the SEC, that we're going to the playoff. Like what world are you living in? That was never the case. Um, Clearly he didn't really care about the LSU game. Um, Kyle Pitts looked fine in warmups. And then all of a sudden he's a late scratch. It looks like Florida didn't care about this game. And they were just trying to go through the motions. I think that starts from the top. Um, I, I don't understand why Dan would get that notion, why he would tell even if he had that notion why he would tell the the TV crew the night before the game, um, just, uh, and listen, Dan's arrogant. And it's, it's fun when, when you're winning, when you're eight and one, nine and one, and and he says like his little sly things, it's fun. And and, and you can use it and you retweet it. And and it's cool, but uh, it's an act that, you know, loses its, uh, loses its cuteness. When, when you get, when you get beat by a team, like Dave said that, literally seemed to be self-destructing on Wednesday coming into the game. Um So to me, it's just, I, I it, it's really hard to explain um how Florida came into this game. Cause it certainly didn't seem interested in playing LSU Saturday. Um, and, and like you said, and we go back to again, the last week, seemed like they didn't really care about playing LSU. And all of a sudden you're down and you're trying to find the switch to be like, okay, well, wh- where is that? Where's that? Where's that offense that we have? Where's those defensive stops that we need? And, just couldn't, 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 turn it around.
2: Yeah. And, you know, Dan Mullen wants to consider himself the next Nick Saban. And he, he may very well become that, but when you consistently don't drop the, the arrogant act and don't have that accountability in post-game pre-game media, that is going to absolutely be grating and tiring to your fan base. Uh, he's more like Mike Leach right now, who, yeah when he's winning that stuff's gonna absolutely play well to your fan base but when you're losing and you're coming out there still making the same excuses refusing to own up to the mistakes claiming you didn't see the shoe throw downfield I mean that's just gonna lose you a lot of good favors or or good standing with the fan base in a sense and I I would like to see a little more accountability maybe not from putting the blame on the on the players but we are used to seeing assistant coaches I don't want to be say thrown to the fire but be held accountable for the decisions that they've made and I think that this Florida fan base is just waiting for the time when some form of accountability is said about Todd Grantham and the fact that that has not happened yet is is absolutely an understandable frustration in my mind, and a game like this justifies why people have wanted him to come out here and have that self realization because doing the same old, same old is not going to work. One more thing I got to say this is so peculiar to me what Nick's comments were you know, that he came out pregame and spoke about, oh, you know, we could really kind of lose this game and still have a case. That is so out of character for a head coach who won't even make his quarterback's Heisman Trophy case in the media for fear of getting into his head, throwing him off his game, affecting his preparation. And then you're going to go out there and make a team-wide comment?
1: Yeah, I mean, and with, with everything with- – with every, and with everything to still play for. That's my thing. And I even said it uh, after the Georgia game and the Arkansas game and such as, hey, we got to go out there and get better. We got to go out there and get better every week. We didn't. We did not see that. We did not see that whatsoever. And yeah, I mean, I, I got the you know there was the the fan base thought of ah oh, we're saving some stuff for Alabama and blah blah, blah. no, no. <laughs> that's that I said
2: that too so I gotta I gotta eat some pro for breakfast as well I had said
1: Look, Nick Nick Saban knows
0: Dan Mullen's coffee order he knows the notes that Dan took as an assistant GA at Notre Dame back in even the, in the late eighties like Nick Saban, you're not hiding anything from Nick Saban that's not a thing. I think that's just the thing people want to say to themselves to make them feel better about bad performances. Mm -hmm. Oh, we were just it was vanilla this week and we didn't really try to score points like you're not hiding anything from Nick Saban. Come on, dude. That's the That's the goat. You're not you're not getting anything past him.
1: And even if that is the case, what have we said about the defense all year? Okay, they're not playing aggressive and it's kind of bleeding over into their mentality. Well, if you're going to get vanilla on offense, if you're going to keep getting vanilla on defense, what do you think the mindset's going to be? What do you think that consistent mindset of being vanilla and not trying your hardest and not being aggressive? What do you think is going to happen? Well, Saturday night was, was what was going to happen. You didn't you couldn't flip the switch. LSU was ready to come play, hitch in the mouth, beat you in the trenches. They did it. And Fortnite just wasn't ready for it. So, this whole lackadaisical approach or saving stuff for Alabama or trying to stay healthy and all that, it, 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 it did not pay off. It did not, the, the long term look for this team of whether you're saving yourself mentally or trying to save something for the opponent or trying to save yourself as far as health goes, it, it, it didn't bleed over and it turned into a colossal failure versus LSU.
2: That track down every single week, though. I mean, you had people still at halftime making jokes, yeah, but kind of in seriousness saying, okay, Kyle Pitts is going to run out here out of the tunnel. I mean, do you not know what unavailable means? <laughs> I mean, people are expecting as if Florida is making these – are making these mistakes on purpose. And you can – lull yourself into thinking that absolutely but i I think now the sample sizes that's not the case whatsoever when it comes to the defense and how much leeway they're giving for their mistakes i think most of why you see the fan base calling for some of those younger players is because we've already seen younger players have a shorter leash in a sense Jaden hill chester kimbrough can't go out there and be 10 yards off their man and give up a 30-yard reception and still be in the game the very next play. If either one of them throws a shoe, they're getting yanked and probably yelled at like Kelvin Taylor. I just that's kind of in my mind why the favoritism towards upperclassmen can sometimes come back to bite you in a sense, because yeah, you're showing loyalty and that will pay off down the road, but you're rubbing your wrong players, your your younger players the wrong way who may feel like, oh, I wouldn't do that even if I slip up in one play. I'm not costing us like this on a moronic, you know, boneheaded move like this. That is kind of the justification. It sometimes is more than just the X's and O's of football. It's the cerebral aspect of it. And I think you kind of saw on Saturday that some of those fans were justified for their approach.
1: Graham, I was going to I was gonna save it for later, but that is going to bring me to that. Uh, We've we mentioned it in, in, in the play, uh, Marco Wilson, the personal foul. Uh, throwing the shoe what message are you sending as a coaching staff with, with with that not the play itself you know that's 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 on marco um uh, undisciplined all that but inexcusable event for, for marco wilson there with the game on the line the defense did their job no excuse to to act in such an immature uh, manner and co- it cost your team a chance to win the game did other things contribute to this loss absolutely Uh, but there are degrees to this. And that incident just says so much about (laughs) what happened uh, after that. And it says so much that uh, an undisciplined moment from a player that knows better and has struggled all season long. But after that, he should have been on the bench. Uh, There's no accountability kind of going to Graham's point there from from Dan Mullen or Todd Grantham. For me, when Marco Wilson is still on the field after that play, what message are you sending to the team? Well, you're either telling players that, they're not good enough to fill in for a player that helped cost you a game chance to win the game. And at the same time, sending a message that it doesn't matter what you do out there on the field. There's no repercussions for your actions. You're going to stay out there no matter what happens. So I, I don't get that part of it in, in no way, shape or form. Look, I, I'm not a head coach. I never claimed to be never said I would be no, no more than Dan Muller or anything or, or Todd Grantham for that matter. But. In no way, shape, or form should he have been on that field to me. And to me, it's also, you know, just sending a message throughout the program, throughout the team that those actions are not going to be tolerated.
0: It was very South Florida celebration. (laughs) Um, It's, listen, that's that's the play that gets pointed to. Go back to the Texas A&M yeah. game, that, the play that gets pointed yeah. to is Malik Davis. Um, Marco Wilson didn't turn the ball over three times. Marco Wilson didn't kick a field goal from the LSU 5, the LSU 13, or turn the ball over in the LSU 1. That's the moment that we look at because of the point in the game when it happened. Is it? It's inexcusable. Uh, it's a huge mistake. Um but that's not the only reason Florida lost the game. There's a number of reasons Florida lost the game. That's just one that gets pointed to. But I agree with you. Um, and, and that that's that comes from the top. If, if you're going to preach uh, a Gator standard and you're going to preach uh, accountability and discipline, you didn't show it in that moment. Because um, even that, even though that's your senior, uh, even though he's been a captain every game this year, uh, you make a you make a play like that. A brain fart, a mental lapse, whatever you want to call it, you got you got to go to the bench. You got to be on the sideline for at least a couple plays. Um, that's just uh, I, I didn't even think about it, uh, Dave, until you said it. That you know what kind of message does that send to um, a Jaden Hill or or you know a Chester Kimbro or anybody else? It's like, hey, yeah, no, we're gonna leave him in because we don't think you're ready for this moment right now.
1: Right. That's what it says to me. If they believed in those guys, then you pull him off the field, you put somebody else in. But yeah. I, I don't know what kind of message it sends. I really I really don't. Now, I hope it's I hope it's not de- too detrimental. Maybe I'm making too much of, of that part of it, but I think there is something to be said about it. Well,
0: listen, the, 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 the trajectory of the season has changed. Uh, yeah. What's going to happen uh, in six days is not going to be pretty. And then we're going to be covering the Outback Bowl. So don't worry about playing a good team in New Year's 6, you know. You, you've got some time to figure things out now.
2: Yeah, I don't want to say or jump the gun here and say that that Dan Mullen is like Urban Meyer in the sense that he may show favoritism towards experienced playmakers, players who've already proven it at the expense of developing his younger players. Because we have seen, and Nick, you can definitely attest to this, Marco Wilson has been, you know, let's not skew this, one of the hardest workers in the program, not only coming back from injury, but stepping on campus as a freshman, learning multiple positions, switching from inside corner. I mean, he has absolutely overcome challenges. So I I do hate the narrative being, oh, this guy doesn't deserve to be on the field because it's not that cut and dry. I do think that it does all just boil down to the accountability aspect and what we're just saying, the message it sends to the rest of your team. It's making everyone else feel like, hey, I can make a mistake. And as long as I recover, it's no big deal. And you also have to put it in context. And I say this kind of every single week, sadly, but the context for Marco Wilson is a little bit outside just that one play. This is someone who Unfairly or not, has been criticized by the fan base and former players this season for his play. Going back to the Texas A&M game, Nick, you brought up the Texas A&M game. Yeah, the Malik Davis fumble was pointed to by many, but the images still coming out of that game aren't of Malik Davis fumbling. It's of Marco's eyes closed, getting mossed on the catch, not being able to make the play. You know that's kind of really where a lot of it started this season. So it is worth you know putting that in context and you haven't necessarily seen that amari bernie or the diabate type moment where they've come out in the media this year and said i know that i haven't played well enough i need to improve i can get better that is the accountability that players are also players and fans are also asking for from one of your upperclassmen who just played their last home game at florida they're asking them to come out there and recognize their play instead and not to be mean to Marco here, you often see that talking done on social media through Instagram or the, the clips in game where he's moving his arm. That stuff is going to rub people the wrong way if you're only propping yourself up when you do good plays, make good plays, and you don't take accountability for the bad ones. And seeing Marco Wilson throw a shoe after he had been beat several times by younger wide receivers have been out of position multiple times. That stuff is absolutely going to be in the context of it. Absolutely more grading to people. And that's important to remember here. This isn't just a one week shoe throw thing. This has been mm-hmm. building. And I think the shoe throw kind of epitomized the frustrations of a lot of people.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree there, Nick. It is. A, it's a culmination of Marco Wilson's season and, Something that wasn't even a play that kind of just put the to put the bow on it. And I think you should you know say and you know a couple more games left this season. Hopefully find something play, play well there. But uh, you go back and look at uh, his performance versus LSU. And uh, the incident and then and not so pretty there uh, for one Marco Wilson and look, guys, there there was nothing consistent in in this game. Trask was up and down. Uh, I don't care what the numbers say. Uh, It was his worst performance as a uh, as a Florida quarterback, given the situation of turnovers, red zone production. Yes, Florida had over 600 yards of offense. Trask had close to 500, but situational football made those stats not really matter at all. Uh, Trask directly responsible for giving LSU 10 points with a pick six, fumbling deep in uh, Gators territory as well, leading to an LSU field goal. 10 points right there in a game that you lost by three. Uh, Another interception happened in the red zone to take away a chance to score more points. So while the stats were gaudy at times, it didn't translate, did not translate at all. Three red zone trips in the first half for only three points. The offensive line didn't help him out all that much. He was sacked four times. They tried a new rotation there that we've been kind of waiting to see. But for whatever reason, you wait to the last regular season game to to try something and tinker there. There were times the wide receivers couldn't beat coverage. He had nowhere to go with the ball. Um, you, know, you can't make those matters worse by turning the ball over. Kyle Pitts didn't play. You guys brought that up. Clearly made a difference, but it shouldn't have against one of the worst defenses in the country come into this game skaters teams just wasn't focused i mean did that right there your husband candidate quarterback um wasn't focused wasn't ready to play uh and, and to me you know the, the it started there yeah you may have had the numbers but it started at the quarterback position in the turnovers guys
0: yeah that was i mean a lot of the a lot of the pressure that that was getting to trash that was those were coverage mm-hmm. sacks and coverage pressure um i can't remember when it was but Trayvon Grimes got some nice separation. It was an easy pitch and catch, and I thought, man, it's we're not early in this game. And that's the first time I've, I've looked and been like, all right, that guy was like wide open. Um, I mean, first off, tip, tip of your cat's Kadarius, mm-hmm. Tony. I mean, like two hundred twenty-four all-purpose um, playing in your last game in the swamp. Nine catches, one hundred eighty-two, and a touchdown. Um, carried the ball three times, fifty-six yards. He played his tail off. Um, and, and it sucks for guys like Trask, Stone, all those guys uh, playing their last game. That's 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 your last game in the swamp. But I, I, I can't I can't say anything but like other than you did it to yourself because I don't know what somebody could tell me um, that was in a Jersey last night that would make me believe that they were ready um, and interested in playing last night. And, and that's wild to think that that's where we are. Uh, with what was on the line and, and what was still left to play for when you went out on the field last night?
1: Yeah, and, and Graham, when you when when we extend that conversation to get your thoughts on that part of it, as I said, it was it was just inconsistent. I mean, Kyle Trask with the mistakes, he still played well enough to win the game, uh, but you just you know, those 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 turnovers were just so detrimental and you know put Florida in an early hole and yeah, just kind of just kind of couldn't really find their way out of it. Just far as far as consistency goes, anyway.
2: Yeah, I'll tell you one player who was, you know, feeling it in the game, Kyrie Campbell. I don't know if you saw him, but oh, yeah. absolutely livid at what was occurring and, and not to call him out here in a sense. But I think a lot of people, you know, in, in the same sense, he did get more of a pass for missing those early games, especially the Texas AM game for not being in there. So seeing that emotion in the last game of the season, you know, absolutely has to be a little bit frustrating because that's a guy who would have liked to be there. The entire time but you know going back to Trask's turnovers in the second quarter absolutely that those were surprising and out of character but I really only put one on him that the pick six was really the only one that I really thought should have been different I mean the the fumble was just such a wacky series of plays and and you had to put obviously some some blame on the offensive line for missed tackles. I mean, I I thought Stuart Reese kind of had maybe his worst game as a Uh Gator. Um, And you actually saw those offensive line changes that a lot of people have been calling for moving Ethan white to left guard, moving stone Forsyth over to, you know, to right tackle and, and, you know, bring in a new left tackle and Richard garage. That's what people have been calling for, for a long time. And to see that happen in the second half and that still, not to result in a victory for Florida fans, it has to be extremely upsetting because it's a failure to capitalize on aspects outside of, of your weakest area of football, which many people said was the offensive line.
1: Nick, I want to get your thoughts. I know, I know you said you rewatched the game uh, already. I thought live, um, I noticed the change right away with garage going, or uh, garage to left tackle, stolen at right tackle, uh, white at, at left guard. <laughs> through just watching at the stadium, I didn't notice a huge difference. Was it better? Maybe, but I didn't notice. And as I said, you know, you'd probably be way too late to do it. Now, if have factors in here, but to me, it, it didn't make that much. It didn't make a huge difference.
0: No, uh, th- I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that that was all me um, from asking Dan the question last Saturday, uh, even though. He said, no, nope, that's our, those, that's our best five. Um, I actually think he might've been telling the truth because like you said, when, when you put in and you shuffle those guys around, that was the same. I had people who I can recognize. They haven't changed their Twitter pictures all year. They've been yelling about how bad the right tackle is and how much they need to change tweeting at me. They need to go back to the old, old line because this isn't working. I'm like, well, maybe sometimes the coach that sees it every day in practice knows what he's talking about. And that's the best five. Um, to me, it didn't make didn't make a, a lick's worth of difference. I think Ethan White played really well, and, and maybe you you try to find a way to put him in the lineup and leave him there. You got to, maybe where's Josh Braun? I mean, White got in there, um, and, and I thought he played well. When you move guys over, I don't think Stone was as good at right tackle as he has been at left tackle. And people think that those positions are, are interchangeable. And it's literally completely different footwork and
1: protections. And well, not only that, he played left tackle all last season. He played left yeah. tackle nine games this season. <laughs> and now you're going now the tip game of the season, you're gonna put him over there?
0: Yeah, that's just I mean, just a great coaching decision. Uh, <laughs> yeah, just just you know, probably another another tip in the cap for Dan. Maybe he'll win coach of the year this year. Um, it, it's just weird. It's just weird. I thought you, and we've, we've been saying this, um, if you're going to start making changes, start making them against Vanderbilt, against Tennessee, against Kentucky, not make the change down seven points to an LSU team that shouldn't, that has no business being in the ball game. um, you know, as a desperation. So, head scratching, but it didn't work. So maybe that's why they didn't make it. You know, they they knew that it wasn't going to work, and they've probably seen that. They've absolutely seen that five in those positions in practice, and they probably knew that it wasn't going to work, but you're just throwing something at the wall because, you know, your right tackle is getting abused.
2: I did not want to be the one to bring it up, but, you know, we've said it a few weeks ago that anyone who absolutely thinking that, DeLance didn't give them the best chance at right tackle based on where everyone else would line up just was being a, a couch coach and they weren't seeing all the different variations, all the different lines that John Hevesy in Florida was using and like you said, we've seen some of these guys at right tackle. We've seen glimpses of what Stone Forsythe looks like outside the left tackle spot and that is clearly his spot, best spot on the offensive line. I tried to preface it really carefully and and word it carefully by saying this is the best available right tackle not the best available offensive lineman and I think that you saw that in this game and that has to be part of why Florida fans are frustrated here because after what you saw last year after what should have been I know they didn't get a spring they didn't get a traditional year of development in any regard but you should have had those steps taken you should have had some guy up who was able to compete for that spot. And the most frustrating aspect of what you saw on Saturday from the offensive line standpoint had to be that there's no one really competing for that right tackle spot. So what is Florida's offensive line going to look like next year? I mean, it's going to absolutely be contingent on guys getting a massive development, you know, stretch in spring, whenever that will occur in this crazy year that probably will extend to 2021 how are you going to develop that if guys already are not there right now and now you're going to have a bunch of guys walk out the door after they graduate so it's certainly i think a lot of and, and in, a,
1: and in, in a different face looking face. offense and in a different looking offense that's so going yeah. to be next year absolutely
2: so. it, you know you're you're losing your your quarterback you're you're losing what four offensive linemen um this is a team that A lot of people were really high on this team because of how many players were coming back. And you assumed that they would just take the next step and not having an offensive lineman able to take that next step when another guy isn't, is absolutely a concerning aspect. And I I know that John Hevesy when it comes to criticizing assistant coaches, it seems like John Hevesy has been given a free pass this year in a sense, maybe based on the standards of what we saw last year, thinking that, oh, look at these offensive linemen, they already were kind of mediocre let's call it that at several aspects especially run blocking and then they don't get like I said a spring regular development period how can we really expect them to make massive improvements I don't know if that resulted in giving them a pass here but it seems that after Saturday you absolutely can start asking legitimate questions about what Florida's ceiling is at the offensive line because if we just saw it on Saturday it didn't look much better or much more promising than what we've seen all season
1: yeah, so that's something I'm going to go back on the rewatch and just kind of kind of see. But I just know at first glance, uh, <laughs> there it that, uh, it it wasn't any more impressive than the uh, normal uh, starting five run game. Uh, kind of extending offensive line talk a, a little bit inconsistent here outside of Malik Davis. But even there was a questionable run with him on the first drive of the game where Gators had fourth and goal uh, at the one, felt to score, but. Best back of the night by far, uh, Davis. He had a 39-yard run. Uh, Tony, three carries for 56 yards. Damian Paris only averaged three yards a carry on eight carries, 24 yards. Florida struggled in the red zone due to, in part, to a lack of run game. I know that was brought up last week. (laughs) Did a whole hour-worth episode of the run game last week here on Gators Breakdown. I know we peppered Mullen with with, with questions about it. and Well, I mean, if he wanted to run the ball last night, it was another – Inconsistent performance there, saying he could just go line up and run it if he wanted to. So uh mentioned the wide receivers struggling to get open at times, but man, they also made some really good plays, tough catches all night long with tight coverage. Nick, you brought it up. Tony had his most productive night uh ever as a gator, his last game in the swamp, nine catches, 182 yards and a touchdown. Jacob Copeland had his best game as well with a tough catch after tough catch, going five catches, t- 123 yards and a score. Javon Grimes, four for 98 in his last home game as well. Uh, it, it was hard to go out like that, given the performance of those guys, because I, I, I thought for the most part, yeah, we, we talked about trying to, you know, beating coverage, uh, beating some press that LSU was doing. But I thought all in all, I, I'm, give, I'm giving the wide receiver group a, a, a good bit of credit for some of the catches that they made in production that they brought to the table.
0: Yeah, um, it, it, it's <laughs> – I'm. I, I. I mean, I wrote words about it. I'm just having. I'm just having trouble. I. I don't know how you're. Listen, Rick's. Um, I think will be a very good player, but mm-hmm. to not get separation against this LSU secondary that was out. You know, three starters that. um you know, not didn't have Derek Stingley Jr. And, um, I don't understand the some of the the play calling. Just like trying, like going to the well with that running game. Um. I mean, if you look at it, obviously twenty-six rushes to forty-eight pass attempts. It's not that close, um, but just at times like that first drive, just turned kind of turned towards the running the running game when really your only effective running play um, was like a draw and an end around. Um, it, it's not who you are, and, and I don't know why you're why you forced it at times or. Um, it's it's really interesting, and, that, and I think the red zone issues for me last night. That's Kyle Pitts, and and that's yeah, that's a difference. You know, if you look at Kyle Trask and, and Mac Jones' stats, and uh, specifically you get to the touchdowns, and Kyle's got way more touchdowns. And I look at it and I'm like, yeah, because look what Najee Harris does when they get down in the red zone. If Florida's down on the three yard line and they're trying to throw the ball, um, they're trying to have you know Trask do the little rocker step and do stuff like this, and like that's Florida's a finesse passing team. Um, and that's why Kyle, Kyle Trask, some of his stats are better than Mac than Mac Jones because Alabama's got a running game and they can do stuff in the end zone. And uh, we've just gotten to the point where Florida's now, I've kind of talked about it, you know, all season. I said, well, they haven't made themselves one dimensional yet. Florida's one dimensional mm-hmm. and, and they, they can't run the ball. Their, their best running game last night was Kyle Trask running a draw um, or Kyle Trask running that quarterback power. Um, and it's going to it's going to be an issue. It's it hadn't been an issue or you were good enough um, to maybe mask it up to this point. But it showed up last night and you just weren't weren't able to be physical enough when you needed to be to get six and, and you settle for three a couple of times.
2: Or outside of Trask, it's back to back weeks where a wide receiver has yeah. looked like made the best run play, you know, Kadarius Tony late there in the fourth quarter with that one Uh, Mm -hmm. Jacob Copeland the week before we saw this throughout Dan Mullen's first two years in Gainesville creativity with running the ball, right? Motion in the backfield, you know, jet sweeps reverses, just trickery, whatever you want to call it. And now it just seems so archaic as if you're not giving your run game a chance, or if you're committed to the formulaic approach, and that's just not what we were used to seeing out of Dan Mullen, the guy who would go for it on fourth down and trusted his, his, you know, his wide receiver and Kadarius Tony to throw the game winning touchdown pass against his former program. I mean, you didn't see those risks that it was a very, you know, vanilla bland offense at times this season. And I think that has absolutely rubbed people some the wrong way. I also, when it comes to what you guys say about using Kyle Trask in the running game, it, it justifies in my mind when you're seeing people say, well, where's Emery Jones? Where's Emery Jones? We saw in the fourth quarter, It seemed like a month ago, Emory Jones have a really, really good stretch in the fourth quarter, made plays with his feet, threw some nice balls. I mean, that's a guy who you're supposed to be probing him up as the signal caller next year. This is your guy going into after the bowl game. I have not seen that in the last few weeks, and I don't know if there's something we don't know about his availability. And if that's the case, then forgive me here. But when you're seeing Kyle Trask run those draws and goal line action and taking hits like that, I can't help but cringe because I'm one of those people right now who's saying, man, they just got to get to Atlanta, get as few injuries as possible. This game Mm -hmm. absolutely doesn't matter. As long as you can win the game, make sure you're as healthy as possible. And we've said it every single week. What's the risk reward benefit of playing a complete game versus resting your guys against Alabama, especially when you just played seven straight weeks. And that's another thing I think we're not really assessing. It's really easy to get all your mistakes corrected when you come out of, what, a three-week layoff. A lot of us were actually surprised that Florida looked so improved after being away from the field after that Texas A&M shutdown. But that's really how things work. You have time to rest, get things worked back up, and then actually focus and attack your opponent. We were among the people out there who were concerned at Florida's health, focus level, energy level, especially in a year where conditioning and wind are are not really at a premium. We were worried about that all season long, how they would fare. And it, it, it makes a little bit of sense to me that they kind of just ran out of juice, inspiration, whatever you want to say. They ran out of a lot of things yesterday in the last regular season game. And it does make a little bit of sense, but not seeing Emory Jones in there, not seeing not seeing more of those creative run plays, I just don't – I don't get it. It makes me w- – with the people who said, oh, well, they got to be saving some of this for Alabama because otherwise, what were you doing not calling those plays?
1: Yeah, that's part of my thing about being aggressive too. Well, get aggressive early so you can get those young players in <laughs> in the second half. If you want the young guys to get playing time, go out there and get up, you know, 30-3 to 3 like you should be, like Alabama's doing against – LSU and the teams later on in the, in the season, that's what, you know, they did. They got up big at halftime and, you know, they, they had to, at least had a decision if they wanted to get some young guys in, they kept some starters in uh, at points too, but that's kind of what you expected uh, from Florida as well. Let's move to the other side. One more uh, thought about the defense guys here. I just don't, I mean, we've said it week in and week out. I just still don't understand how some of these issues still occur. <laughs> the last game of the season, Inconsistent day for them as well. They gave up 30 points to a team, you know, that, that was the pick six there, but gave up 30 points uh, to a team, starting a freshman quarterback, only got to him twice, didn't force him into making any mistakes by playing soft once again, so p- passive uh, once again. LSU wide receivers open all night f- long for chunk plays. Players not getting set, not knowing where to be. blitzing from Jacksonville, confusion, confusion. I mean, everything it, this defense has struggled with all season long came to a head once again against a quarterback making his first start. And, and Max Johnson goes 21 and 36, 239 yards, three touchdowns, not gaudy stats. But I mean, uh, he did what he was supposed to do against, against this Florida defense. Um, uh, three touchdowns there. I mean, look, this is the second week in a row you played a freshman quarterback and you weren't able to make him throw a pick. Two weeks in a row, Tennessee, LSU this week, uh, their LSU's rushing attack w- wasn't great, averaging 3.6 yards uh, on 50 carries, 179 yards total. But they did help convert third and short after third and short. LSU was eight of 18 on third down. Five of those were converted on the ground. The Tigers were five of six on third and short situations. That's third and one to four. I mean, you know, they, they got Florida where, where they wanted them, and in third and short situations, where Florida's kind of been pretty good this year on defense, and this third and f- short situations didn't show up. One more thing you can kind of just point to, uh, maybe not being focused, not being ready, not being able to be physically ready to go into trenches with LSU. Those third and short situations over and over again. So Gators were Gators were getting beat up front all night long on both sides of the ball. Have they gotten home on a on a corner blitz? I think once. Once I think season, once, maybe maybe just keep dialing yes. them up. Though. And then the one they did, I mean, both of them come both corners, top of the screen and the bottom of the screen. And wide open. I mean Travez Johnson couldn't rotate fast enough. I mean, it's uh same mistakes over and over again. But we grew in week three, right? <laughs> week two, it's fine. Those you
0: can just keep making those same mistakes, we'll get them corrected eventually.
1: And I know, and look, guys. I mean, it, it was brought up in the post game, and, and and it was asked. And look, we know by now, Mullen's not going to throw anybody under the bus, but we have to ask the questions. We really have to, just to see what he's going to say. What if if anything's going to happen? He has no issue chewing him out in front of national TV on the sideline, but he won't do, uh, won't say much in 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 front of uh, media sessions about because uh, he can't sit there and, and think that's acceptable in, in week ten. But maybe he does, and that's why it keeps happening.
0: Yeah. He's fired one coordinator. He's been a head coach for 12 years. He's fired one coordinator uh, and he hired Todd Grantham after that. I I don't, I personally just don't think he, I I don't think he'll, I don't think he'll he'll fire Todd. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I could be wrong. Um, I I don't think he will. Sorry. It's the same
2: criticism I made and, and we all made during the Jim McElwain era. There were mistakes. There were things that needed improvement. And Jim McElwain only fired one coach. And for him, it was on the defensive side of the ball, Kurt Callahan. And the funny thing with Jim McElwain is it was his offense that needed improvement. That's the same thing for Dan Mullen. There's a chance that he loses Brian Johnson here pretty soon to a head coaching gig. You may have to replace your offensive coordinator after the season as well. If you lose your defensive coordinator and you aren't already looking right now at who's out there and you go out there this sounds kind of funny to say right now, but you go out there and make a Bo Pelini type hire, it's going to absolutely raise, uh, you know, that 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 criticism in a sense because you haven't necessarily shown that you've gone out and tackled that issue head on. And if I'm Dan Mullen, that should absolutely be my first priority throughout the week. Realize that Todd Grantham, who already has fielded NFL interest, has looked elsewhere, and he really isn't. You know, I understand that him and Dan Mullen are close. But he's not like one of those guys like Gonzalez, Brian Johnson, John Hevesy, Greg Knox, who would wash Dan's car if, if he really asked him to. I mean, he's a guy who, when a head coaching job opens up, that loyalty will, will no longer be a factor. And so if you're Dan Mullen, you have to kind of think of it the same way for yourself. You have to realize that you're going to need to find a defensive coordinator who is going to fix your problems or you're going to start getting the heat that Todd Grantham is getting right now and that Jim McElwain got when changes aren't made, then it absolutely falls on the head coach. And this is going to be a pivotal stretch after the SC Championship to see what Dan Mullen does. If he goes ahead and moves on past Todd Grantham, um, I think that'll appease a lot of the fans. But you're more likely to see a situation where uh, he leaves for an NFL job.
1: Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll see there. I know Gator fans will be looking very closely uh, for, for that here. Uh, a couple social media things, uh, guys. Thanks for sending uh, these uh, Twitter comments here. Uh, let's get into a couple before we go here. Dashville Gators fan says, lack of true consistent run game and basic discipline and fundamentals on defense finally caught up with us. You cannot win in the SEC being undisciplined. Um, Tampa Dad says, uh, I think a 10-game SEC schedule, lack of depth, and no defensive improvement was baffling. The part that got me was the inability to line up correctly, substitute, understand the play calls, and get into base coverages. If it is too complicated, why didn't we simplify it? We kind of – we've hit on that. Uh, What (laughs) issues lining up? What what issues lining up? That was when Kyrie Campbell come off – really ticked off i mean he come in on the third down um barely got lined up and i think a called out a timeout was called at that moment And he comes off the field livid and that makes me think it's a communication issue on the sideline that there wasn't it wasn't communicated to him that he needed to be out there the way he reacted after that now i could be completely wrong but his that's what his reaction tells me this is that hey i didn't even know i was supposed to be out there because of the communication issues maybe from the staff or whatever to send him out there. So just a guess on my part, but he was absolutely livid coming off the field on that, in that third down conversion or that third down play.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, that's one of those guys that you were, you expect that out of, we said throughout the off season, this is an emotional leader for Florida, uh, that defensive tackle position. we know the development is not there based on the recruiting signing just one defensive tackle, uh, in, in the first two years, we knew that Kyrie Campbell was a critical piece. I mean, I think that more people were probably surprised that it wasn't something that was discussed as much when you even go back and look at Adam Schuler coming into the program, how critical that was at saving the position, the absence of Kyrie Campbell. I think many people underestimated that not only just in the first few games, because we saw massive improvements from the defense. But from an emotional leadership, we got to get this thing together standpoint. That is a guy who is absolutely, he's he's not going to bite his tongue. He's going to tell you exactly how he feels as profane and angry as it may be, because that's an emotional guy who his emotions aren't frequently going to get you in trouble. Unlike some players on this defense, if anything, they're going to spark people up. And I will say this. And maybe it's in Marco Wilson's defense here. The players are a product of the coach. And when you consistently week after week see a defensive coordinator, your defensive coordinator come out and say, we don't have problems lining up. We don't have problems getting the play call in. Our scheme is a 10 out of 10 difficulty. Players at home don't, you know, everything, single thing that takes away from the apparent mistakes that you're seeing out there you have to believe that that's a trickle down effect to the players. If they see the guy making nearly $2 million, not taking any accountability and not owning up to the bad plays, what incentive is there for an underpaid in every regard, student athlete to come out there and say, Hey, you know, I, I messed up or even say to the coach, pull me. I'm not playing well enough. Give someone else an opportunity. When you have a defensive coordinator that, kind of acts like, you know, it doesn't stink. I think that you're going to have a trickle-down effect in a, in a degree. And good thing Kyrie Campbell doesn't have that. Let me say that.
1: Guys, do you remember going back to that point? And just Graham brought up a good point here. Before the season started, Todd Grantham called Marco Wilson the most versatile player he's ever coached. What happened?
0: <laughs> I, I think I wrote that. I think I, think I wrote that story. Re-tweeted. I mean... Um, I I don't know I I I I have no uh and and obviously everyone knows my relationship with with that family going back I mean I think I've, I've known Marco since he was like 10 years old um I've got no explanation for um for the season he's had um I mean you you watched him freshman year and He was a fan favorite as a freshman, and you're thinking the sky's the limit. And he had to come in and save the day last year, right? And he he played played well last year. Um, Yeah, yeah. I've got, I got no explanation. Now, listen. I think some of the stuff I'm seeing said (laughs) about him is going a little too far Um, on social media. I think we've gotten we've 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 jumped the shark a little bit. But um, (laughs) sorry, Jim McWayne. But but I think. Uh, I, I I don't know. I don't, I don't have any explanation for, for how he's playing. But clearly, like we said before, that's, you know, he stayed in after his personal – his unsportsmanlike, pe- his unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. So that's what you've got. That's your best guy.
1: Yep. A uh, few more thoughts here, kind of extending the thought uh, maybe behind the scenes or to the staff a little bit. Aiden Murtha says, important thing for Florida and Mullen to know is we need to stay consistent throughout the season. Can't have these peaks and dips throughout the season. Elite teams keep the intensity throughout every game. And that's what we need to work on in order to be contenders. Uh, The word elite was brought up there, and I think we can safely say now that uh, this Florida team, not elite there. Uh, Morgan Wrighton says, I know coaching has been blamed all year, but this was probably the most glaring example that this is not a well-coached team, especially not on defense. LSU barely fielded a team led by a freshman quarterback and outplayed us. Matt Smith, the reason the Gators are so undisciplined and out of position is just—is it just the players? The coaching staff needs to look in the mirror, start reevaluating themselves and their actions. You lost to a team that had more heart and pride. Selfless and undisciplined gets a team nowhere. And last couple here, Jonathan Kaplan says, the sad part is I'm not even that frustrated. Anyone can see that this defense was not going to be able to win a national championship, and we are still playing for the SEC championship. I just wish Dan would hold more people accountable, players and coaches, and last one here at 1117 Supreme Griff says uh, this team lacked leadership and heart. I don't even think we have a captain on defense. Ain't no way. We still looking lost on uh defense with Grantham putting the same trash people out there. Marco picked on all year. He kept them out there shaking my head. So a lot of kind of guys, what we brought up, but you can tell the fan base a little frustrated just by a inexcusable loss to LSU here. And um, you know, mainly just because of the accountability and just not showing up ready to play.
2: And, you know, we talk so often, let me just say this real quick here. And I'll, you know, I'll be real quick on this. You know, we talk so often about things that are lost preseason development, every, everything else conditioning. That's not all that the Florida program does everything they do in the off season. Don't drop the rope stadiums, workouts, position group battles off the field, social activities, that stuff also goes a long way towards building accountability. When you're hanging out with your teammates after practice and it's a less serious environment, you often can say, Hey, we got to get this right. We got to get this right. And those moments are lacking. Absolutely. Right now, the 4am runs, the conditioning that brings teams closer together builds that accountability. That is absolutely something that in my mind is missing this season as well. And we don't talk about it as much as we talk about the lack of wind and conditioning.
0: And, and at some point, if, if your position coaches aren't holding their position groups accountable, that's uh, the buck stops at your desk head coach. You got to make decisions and, and hold people accountable before you're the one being held accountable. Um, Cause it's all happening on your watch.
1: Yeah, that's the bad thing. It just kind of came to a head. You know, everything that we saw as issues came to a head. And especially, I guess, a 24-point underdog. And that, that's that's what it takes for a 24-point underdog to win. It is everything that like that coming to a head and happening all at one time. And that's you get the performance that you got from Florida on Saturday night versus LSU. So, guys, man, thank you so much. Uh, we recorded a little bit early today. Thank you for... Uh, Adjusting schedules and all that stuff to to help out here. We'll see uh, next week what we can do <laughs> for for an episode and uh, maybe funeral music in the background the whole time or something. I don't know. We'll uh, <laughs> Maybe come up with something there. But uh, man, this was this was supposed to be a fun week and a fun trip to Atlanta. We can still make it fun, but uh, the uh, the football aspect of it was supposed to be a little more fun. That uh, I don't think it's going to be there now.
0: Ooh, the boogeyman's coming. Don't look under the bed. Um, I do not have high hopes for Saturday.
1: No, no, <laughs> no, <laughs>
0: no, no, not at all. You know,
2: I had said this a couple weeks ago, Nick Saban just beat his biggest rival in his loft. I mean, he may not even need to show up at the game and, and they beat Florida. And we are making the point that he knows everything that Dan Mullen wants to do. Well, he's got assistance, he can go out there and have them not miss a beat. And I think that we've said all season long, Florida is not in the same boat whatsoever. So
0: maybe Alabama gets COVID this week and they (laughs) can't play the game.
2: (laughs) I was, I mean, I'm more concerned possibly with, you know, I don't know. You just played a team that barely had enough scholarship players to make the trip to Gainesville. And you had to go all out against them. I I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm Florida. I'm worried about the same lack of enthusiasm and, and energy level that LSU has been experiencing. And I, I don't want to make parallels to what FSU went through a few years ago, but you had a head coach who was kind of checked out, looking elsewhere. And that's Florida fans' biggest fears, that Dan Mullen is looking at the NFL. And that that's why all the problems aren't getting corrected right now, because they're not going to be his problems in 2021 you can look up to the school out west and and look at the blueprint for how that can go if you don't handle that while the coach is still in the building and it absolutely gives credence to when i hear people say you got to make a move right now because you may not get a chance to make that move
1: yeah the window of opportunity is there it's limited sometimes and you know florida had that window right now and goes out the goes out the it goes out the window right now the uh performance there uh so now going to atlanta with – yeah, no, basically playing for pride. Uh, at, at this point, you are playing for pride, uh, and we'll see. We'll see how we'll see how far that takes Florida, because it wasn't a lot of pride shown in the field in the on senior night last game of the twenty twenty season versus LSU. So uh, we'll see. We'll last see a lot time,
2: of. I got I to tell a quick quick story. This is how I think it's going to go on Saturday. Last time Florida was in the SEC championship beforehand, you had Florida media people coming down in the tunnel to us and saying, "Hey, here's how many starters." we've averaged missing all year long. If you could go ahead and just put this out here before the game. Yeah. They knew how that was going to go. I wonder if yeah. we're going to get something like that on Saturday.
1: Yeah. Pride ain't covering Devontas. No, no, it's not. It is not. Pride, uh, pride ain't tackling Najee. Good luck, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. All nah, right, Graham Hall from Gainesville son Nick DeLittore from Gator's ter- Gator Territory joining us right here on Gator's Breakdown. Guys, thank you so much. And everybody out there, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Gator's Breakdown. I'm your host, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at Gator Dave underscore SEC. And we'll see you again next week.